You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas, and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode number 202 of the Make It British podcast. Today I'm chatting with Monica Young, who is the founder and creative director of Monica the Label. Monica the Label is a love affair between Callie Cool and East London grunge and inspired by all the best parts of the 1970s. The brand is described as sustainable clothes for wild-hearted women who want to make a change and feel pretty damn cool when they do it. In this episode, Monica and I chat about her background working for retailers such as Anthropology and Zalando, why her brand is all about slow fashion and what that means to her, how she's found working with UK manufacturers and some of the copying issues she's had with big brands and what she'd recommend that other designers do when they come across the same issues. This interview was also done as a video recording. So if you'd like to see this interview as a video, pop on over to the Make It British YouTube channel where you can see it in its full video glory. Now, here we go over to the interview with Monica Young from Monica The Label. So hello, Monica. Thank you for joining me on the Make It British podcast today. Hi, Kate. Thanks so- for having me. So you're the founder and the director of Monica the Label, which I love your description of it. It's the love affair between Callie Cool and East London grunge inspired by all the best parts of the 70s. So that's fantastic. As someone that lives in a 1970s house, I totally uh, vibe with your Callie Cool thing. What do you think were the best parts of the 70s? I mean, obviously I was not alive during the 70s, so all my kind of opinion or love for it is just based on a lot of what we can kind of get from it now so a lot of it has come from the music I'm really big 70s music fan like Fleetwood Mac like they're just absolutely iconic and I think when I was younger I first got into listening to Fleetwood Mac and then discovered the era um, and fell in love with it basically just like the bohemian kind of aspect that free-spirited Um, style that was really present during that time and as you mentioned as well it's like a Cali cool so when I say like Cali cool I imagine like the old school kind of 70s California I still still think there's a little bit lingering there still like modern day California style Um, but obviously as like decades go on style changes but I really love that some areas are really stuck to that kind of fashion still. Yeah, I totally love that as well. So I'm now seeing you. You're obviously a big Stevie Nicks fan, are you? And that's where it was all inspired. I am. I am. It's all inspired. Me too. One of my dresses are named after her. So very iconic, very inspirational. And a lot of my own personal style kind of derives from her dressing and her stage outfits. Um, So yeah, very big inspiration of mine. Brilliant. And you've got a background similar to mine in the fact that you worked in Mm -hmm. buying for big retailers, didn't you? Like Anthropology and Zalando. Yeah. 
What made you decide to set up your own brand? So obviously for a long time growing up, I had that childhood dream of having my own brand, um, like a lot of people do. And I always thought it would be a lot further down the line. So I tried to find another career that I could go into with maybe not so much like design experience because I wasn't at the time, like looking back now, it sounds quite stupid saying it, but at the time I didn't think I was, I didn't have the um, capability to study design or be a full-fledged designer, but I still wanted that creative aspect within the industry. So I was introduced to fashion buying when I was about 16, 17 and trying to figure out what to do with my life. Um, and so I decided to take the path of the buyer because at the time it seemed like the most creative pathway aside from designing, but you still had that business element, which I really enjoyed. Um, so I went on to university to fashion, study fashion management at Nottingham Trent University. Very last minute decision. Originally, I was going to try and make it by myself a little bit and do some work experience, take a gap year, try and get some work experience within buying but found out about that vicious cycle that you don't really get <laughs> a job without yep. the experience. As much as you try without the kind of, at the time, I really do think it's changed. But I think at the time, like obviously that was, what year was it? 2013. So like my math here is like, what, eight years ago now. So I think then it was so difficult without a degree or any experience whatsoever to then get into the industry. So it's like, you know what, I'll go to university. So I applied last minute, managed to get in and I studied fashion management for four years, which basically covers the whole industry aside from design. Um, and yeah, within my third year, we could do a placement year where we could have work experience. I decided to go to anthropology here in London. Um, at the time, their offices were on King's Road. Um, really nice area to obviously be around and work in. And that year was so integral to, I think, my whole career. Um, obviously, your first kind of working experience is always really important. But I learned so much on the role, on the job, what buying was all about. Um, again, you can probably relate. There's obviously many aspects of buying there's product development good and bad good and bad there's like product development um branded buying and anthropology did like a whole mixture so you did kind of best of both worlds so i was able to really explore like my creative side within product development because the team was so small they really allowed me to get myself in there within the work and within the design product development which is amazing and obviously then worked with brands as well so very early on i got that experience of working within brands but also developing products so at the time I was really content with fashion buying and thought that was now the career path for me and maybe in 10 or so years time I can reconsider that if I want to and um, so I decided to continue on with fashion buying obviously then graduated and decided again quite last minute I seem to make these last minute decisions um quite last minute decided to um move abroad and start a new role at Zalando in Berlin um, at the time, I wanted to just try something new. I'm from London, but when I graduated, I didn't I didn't really want to go back to London at that point. I wanted to try something new. Went to Berlin and, yeah, did fashion buying there within the women's wear. And it's a very diverse company. So, um, yeah, a very large proportion is English. It is a running joke that if you meet someone who's English in Berlin, they ask you, like, oh, do you work for Zalando or are you a DJ? <laughs> That's usually what you get. So it's a really lovely company in terms of diversity. Like, you meet so many different people from all across the world, which I absolutely love. Like, my friendship group there, I would never met those people if I hadn't gone yeah. to Berlin. So. It was a great experience and I was um, put into the fast fashion um, high street um, department or 
team in the women's wear. And at the time, I was just freshly graduated. Um, and truth be told, I was very much a fast fashion addict at that point. I just obviously graduated, didn't have much income at uni and heavily relied upon the high street, be like Zara, Topshop. That was what I was throwing my money on basically when I was a student. And I was pretty happy about my placement being within, it was on British high street as well. So I felt like I was really within my like knowledge and what I knew about the industry and felt really comfortable there. Um, I had a great team, worked there for two years. Um, but I would say after about a year or so, obviously having now worked directly with the biggest fast fashion players that you can kind of think of um, from like misguided top shop, new look, um, as amazing as the working experience was, I then started to kind of pick away at the fast fashion industry and what it was actually about. So it just clicked in my head. I was like, how are we buying these products for like three, four, five pounds? Um, and obviously the sheer amount of products we were buying consistently, it just all started to click. I was like, something's not adding up here. Like, I don't know how this can physically work. Where, like, how does this work out? Um, and I started to do a lot more research in terms of, how the fast fashion industry worked, how much uh, garment workers were getting paid or like not paid. Um, yeah. And I started to realize I was working with an industry that wasn't aligning with my own values. Um, so I carried on for a little longer. So I still really love the city. I love the, the company working for them. But I started to make a few changes within my personal life. So rather than spending all my money on Zalando with my nice uh, employee discount, I would start looking at vintage shops, flea markets, like Berlin are renowned for their flea markets at the weekends, um, and trying to change my own shopping habits in a way that I felt more comfortable. Um, and then it got to a point that after some changes within the company and my role changed, um, I decided that it was time for me to then move on and try something new. I wasn't entirely content with my new role, but I also wasn't content within the department I was working in. So it got to a point I just didn't want to be a part of the problem, the fast fashion problem yeah. any longer. So I decided to, with a heavy heart, leave Berlin, move back to the UK and make an attempt at some sort of my contribution to a better fashion feature. So that's where I kind of came up with the concept of Monica the Label. And while I was in Berlin, I did actually find through Instagram, which I'll probably mention later on, has been very integral for my career. Through Instagram, found an amazing um, business coach called Leah. And even when I was already out in Berlin, we started making plans. So I really was trying to think as much as I could ahead so that when I moved back home, I wasn't in deep water and had no idea what I was doing. So I already started making plans and then summer 2019 in August, I moved back home to the UK to um, change up my career and start Monica Label. So 2019, so that was a year yeah. before the pandemic. And then, yeah. so you launched in the middle of 2020, didn't you? Is that right? Yeah. So the year in between that was obviously, as I think most people can imagine, very messy. Um, yeah. So obviously I moved back home in August. I gave myself, I think, a month to find my feet uh, figure out what I wanted to do. I found a part-time job to keep me going. So then all my spare time, I worked really hard on trying to develop the brand. So from like September to December, it was all designing, planning, branding, everything to bring the brand together. And the original plan was to launch in March, 2020. So that was like my goalpost launch in March, 2020, which none of us obviously knew what yep. was about to happen. So I, it's quite funny because I remember now thinking back, I think it was like December 
and it was two days before we're supposed to shut for Christmas. And as obviously everyone knows, it shuts off for two weeks and you can't do anything within the fashion industry, basically. So two days before Christmas, I got told that my fabrics for 70% of my collection were being discontinued. Um, so originally I was supposed to make most of my collection out of bamboo. That was the direction I was ah, going. Okay. So I always had plans to um, be as sustainable, sustainability focused as possible, work with like natural fabrics um, and manufacture here in London. So that, those are my free goalposts back in December. And I was planning on making a collection enti- almost entirely out of bamboo. And two days before Christmas, they told me, we're discontinuing it. We won't be able to provide you with any of that fabric. Um, and I think I also miscalculated prices as well because I most of my Easily designs, done. <laughs> as you can see there, they're print they're prints and patterns on really bright and gorgeous colours. And I'm still getting even though I worked in buying, I didn't know again like the intricate details that you do when you actually um, design the product and things like that. Like I didn't know that when you print onto a garment, on, onto fabric, you not only have to pay for the printing, uh, the fabric price, you also have to pay for the printing. So I made a huge mistake with my calculations and realized that this supply was too expensive for me as well with my budget at that point. So they not only discontinued, but I had to find a whole new supplier because at that point it didn't work with my budgets. Um, just track back where were you sourcing the, the bamboo fabric from was that fabric based so, coming from somewhere like India or China so it was all here in the UK as well so it is a UK supplier and then they find it globally so it's from a right, UK for the printing here, the digital the printing, printing yes so printing based here in the UK and then they usually source obviously like silks and yeah. things like that you can't find here directly from the UK it's usually from India and China um, but they will make sure that it's ethically um, sourced and brought over to the country and they do all the background research into it as well. So it was a UK company because that was also another really important um, aspect of the company that we try and keep our supply chain as local as possible as well. Um, so that would be sourcing fabrics, trims, as well as a factory. So that was a UK supplier and unfortunately we had to part ways just before Christmas um so Chris I remember there are a few tears <laughs> few tears and Christmas was spent um frantically researching for more companies and getting emails ready to press send as soon as everything reopened in January so to find a different um, fabric base to find different fabric and I think looking back now I think that actually was a little bit of a blessing in disguise because if I stuck with that, I'm looking back now, I think if they hadn't discontinued it, I may have just tried to push my budgets and just go ahead with it because I found one. I was like, I didn't want to spend more time looking for another one and just put up with the fact that I may have overspent. But the fact that, that happened did allow me to broaden my um, searches and my knowledge. And after all that searching, we then came across my supplier called Silk Bureau, who I guess oh, yes, the UK. Oh, yes, know well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so another UK supplier and they introduced me to a fabric called Regenesis Satin, which is a recycled fabric made from plastic bottles, I say from our oceans and our landfills. And this was an entirely new fabric that I was totally unaware of. And I believe back then you didn't really hear much about that fabric from brands and such. 
So I was really intrigued and obviously we ordered some samples. Apologies if you can hear police cars in the background. I live opposite a hospital. So. No, you can't um, hear it. It's brilliant. Um, just okay. to backtrack what you said there about the fabric, though, that's a really yeah. interesting point because that shows actually, like you say, you've learned the lesson from that. The fact that it was discontinued was obviously for a reason. So there was <laughs> obviously a reason that other designers had probably used it and for whatever reason had not ordered a repeat on that. It yeah. didn't, you know, it, it didn't meet expectations didn't perform like they expected it to so that's interesting to hear you also then took the advice of the printers about which basis you should use yeah I think it was really important because I think at the time I just thought maybe they can't source it or something but it took me a little while to then come to the conclusion that you did there's like obviously there's something wasn't right with the fabric in the first place as to why they're discontinuing it so I think now that when a fabric is discontinued I think that is actually a blessing in disguise. I didn't then risk it with that fabric because it's obviously something that doesn't meet um, standards. So it is really important, I think, to look at it as a more positive um, aspect, positive way, I should say. Um, and you're just basically making your garment better by broadening your search as well. So mm. yeah, that was a really um, key moment, I think, within the development of the brand because it made me realise that your first option won't always be your only option and I think it's really important to just do your research and really make make sure you have multiple options that you can work with because you never know what could happen the company could shut down the fabric can be discontinued there could be a pandemic and everything else shut down anyway so it was definitely a big learning curve that was really integral to the company and like I said we then found our um, recycled satin fabric and that's now become one of my key fabrics within my collection. We now use, I think, for like 60% of our collection is made Brilliant. from recycled satin. And it has like such an amazing feel, very silk-like, really lightweight, really perfect for summer, but then also easily layerable when you go into winter. So it's been a really key fabric for us. So if that never happened in the perfect. first place, who knows what the fact that the collection would be like. So, yeah, that was my fabric journey. And looking back now, I found it funny that I thought that was my biggest problem at the time. I thought, <laughs> this is a nightmare. Like, I can't believe it. My fabric, <laughs> the end of the world. And then fast forward three months later, the unimaginable happens um, and we go into lockdown. So in terms of the, like January to March, we were slowly going into production, slowly developing products, sorry, for like fit sessions and things like that. Um, and it's already been pushed out one month because of the fabric issue. And I thought that was the worst thing ever. I was like, oh, God, we're a month late. This is awful. Can't believe it. And, yeah, we were, I think I remember now, literally the week before everything changed, I was at my fi- one of my final fit sessions for my collection. I think I have a video of it as well. It's quite strange looking back at it now, like obviously not knowing what was going to happen I have a video from our fit, like one of our final fit sessions. Yeah. And we're going to go into production next week. Um, and obviously that did not happen. <laughs> no. So. And also uh, straight after that, a week later, you wouldn't have been able to really do the fit session that easily. I mean, it's only now that they've started properly picking back up again. That's, I mean, we're really uh, fortunate yeah. we finalised the fit session just before that all happened as well. Mm. So you're all about slow fashion then. So aside from making, um, using the cloth that, that you use, yeah. what else What else does slow fashion mean to you and to Monica, the label? I think slow fashion for me and Monica label means that we're not entirely trend-led. I think that's what's been causing the, fa- the trend cycle to, 
or the fashion cycle, should I say, to speed up is because of the ongoing growth of micro trends that are happening right now. And I think I have to say, I think that's grown even more over lockdown due to the growth of like social media platforms such as Instagram, TikTok, where styling videos, hauls and things like that are so easily accessible, especially to the younger generation who may not necessarily have disposable income to invest in key products. Um, they can see these kind of fast fashion items readily available. And for me, I think it's really important that as a brand, we're not directly dictated by those trends. We're just kind of influenced yeah. by them um, to keep it modern and fresh. But in terms of our design with slow fashion, for me, uh, my brand or my design, it's kind of an extension of my dream wardrobe. So I guess I'm kind of, well, not kind of, I guess I am lucky that I have so many customers that also share that love for that dream wardrobe of mine. Because um, at first I sound a bit big headed. I'm like, oh, I won't include anything in my collection that I, I wouldn't wear. And in buying, you kind of had to do the opposite. You had to put like, you had to disconnect yourself from customer your own style. Yeah. And the customer came first. But with the brand, I was like, this is my first opportunity to kind of put my ideas, put my design, my dream style into reality. And I've been really fortunate that people have responded so well to it. And I think that's a strength of the brand is that I'm not dictated by what's going on in the industry entirely. I kind of stick to my roots and what I know. And that's where my design strength comes from. So it's so fashion. We have like a core aesthetic that people do recognize us for. And it's been really great when people have said like, oh, I could spot your dress from a mile. Like you, That was my goal as well. Like I wanted people to be able to recognize that it was a monocolor label dress. And that's so hard to do when you're within the fast fashion industry because you're constantly evolving, constantly changing. And I'm not saying the brand won't evolve. It probably will over time, just as like my own personal style will change as well. But with slow fashion, I think it's really important that you don't need the newest thing all the time. You can look into your own wardrobe, which is what I do for my designs. I look into my own wardrobe and develop it from there. Um, and yeah. it was a complete 180 to what I used to be like, like my wardrobe was consistently changing. And then I was also throwing out garments just as quick because they weren't lasting. For us with slow fashion as well, it means the longevity of the product is as long as possible. So my products, we actually launched most of these dresses last summer, summer 2020, and we're still selling them now at a really good rate. And I think that's quite unheard of for like bigger fast fashion brands because when you look at a dress, sometimes people will then deem it old a month later. So yeah, I think I'm really proud of the fact that my designs are still selling as well as they were last year, a year and year and a bit later on. Timeless. Um, the timeless. That's what I think. So yeah. we are kind of we have little snippets of trends, maybe or things that are really popular at the moment. Like the with the cherries are always going to be a core print, but fortunately they have been quite trendy recently. Um, which I think may go into our conversation that we will be having I in a think, bit. Yeah, I, I think cherries, for me, cherries are always on trend, though. We did they're cherry always bikinis on when I was at Debenhams. I love a cherry. We did cherry I mean, flip-flops, actually, be, like, I think. Timeless, yeah. But these kind of prints do come around in popularity. So some of these prints have been really popular. And obviously last summer, like the Western kind of cowboy trend was really popular as well. But I've always kind of dressed that way. Like I... If I look back at pictures of me at university, I was always like wearing like fedoras and cowboy hats and cowboy boots. And again, cowboy boots are very on trend right now, but it has been something that I've always kind of worn. And I feel like with our brand aesthetic, it will then become kind of live beyond the trend of it. 
because I think there always will be that customer that likes to dress in that way that isn't entirely like the yeah. high street, a little bit different. Um, and that's who we kind of dress for. We dress for people that want to find something a little bit different. We're definitely vintage inspired as well, which is great because I feel like vintage is also time. That's like you'll always find something in vintage shops, vintage markets that work, that stand the test of time. Like that's why they're still around being sold at vintage, vintage markets because they're so timeless yeah. and well-made. Like I feel like a lot of the clothes are made right now. You won't see them in vintage shops in 20 years because yeah. well, they won't have lasted yeah. The quality, exactly. So how do you ensure that you get the quality that you need to make your garments last as long as, as the kind of the timelessness of the prints do? So I think in terms of the actual garment itself, it's really important like who you work with and your manufacturer. Um, so again, with that, we may we wanted to make sure, like I said earlier, that our supply chain is really local and based in London. So I started off with a completely blank canvas, not knowing any kind of factories around here. And it took, that took a while as well. That was a lot of trial and error, contacting a lot of factories. And I quickly realized that manufacturing in the UK is cost more. <laughs> and yeah. it made me realize why a lot of companies or a lot of brands manufacture internationally because they can find a cheaper rate. Like pretty much all the fast fashion brands manufacture abroad because they can find a cheaper rate. So Sorry, that's my dog kicking off now. Right. You've got your ambulances. I've got my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Monica. So that's yeah, right. you're you're right. It's hourly rate is obviously more expensive in the UK yeah. than elsewhere. But yeah, what have you found to be the benefits that offset the the additional costs? So I think the benefits definitely um, offset the additional cost because you get that quality. You get to be directly involved within the manufacturing. Like obviously, like I said, I attended fit sessions. I was the fit model as well. So I was really deep within like the kind of um, production and development process. And you can meet your manufacturer face to face. You can talk everything through. You can see other kind of garments that they've made that can show you examples. And I feel like it's always going to be easier talking to them in person and trying to communicate over Zoom or a phone call or with different like time differences as well. Like, that was always an issue that we had with buying. Like, a lot of our manufacturers yeah. obviously different time zones. So being able to put yourself into the whole manufacturing process and really quality check, obviously, the factory, who you're working with, everyone that was being paid fairly, what kind of environment were they working in. So that was also really important. But in terms of like the actual quality of the product, we made sure that we had the multiple fit sessions. We made sure that we only finalized the final sample, the strike off once it was completely 100% ready to sell, good quality. And there have been times where we've lost money because we've had to make multiple samples or a whole batch wasn't good enough. And then we just make sure that we know for next time how to improve it. So we never sell anything that we're not entirely happy with. Um, but we've been really fortunate that my seamstress is my factory. It's a small studio factory in North London. They are a really talented team. And it didn't actually take too many attempts. We only had... So we made sure we had multiple fit sessions, but nowhere near as many that we would have when working and buying. We would have endless yeah, amount of fit sessions. Yeah, we did. Ten I was for terrified. a garment sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. Like you probably have like ten, like goes into double figures how many fit sessions you have. And I'd be terrified. I'm like, oh God, because we're obviously paying for every sample as well. Um so the costs add up. Like there's definitely a lot of investment needed when you develop product. After that, obviously the costs kind of reduce because you have your garment that's ready. But I think it's really important that you invest that money into making sure your garment 
is as high quality as possible. And I learned that like you can't just skip sessions, you can't skip samples and then hope that one of that the so final sample is gonna be okay. Like I had that before so when I was buying, we were working with a supplier and I think we we're on like our ninth fit session. And <laughs> I've been there. they they obviously got fed up with it as well because um they sent the final product to the store without us signing off the final sample. And we only found out when we went into the store and we saw the sample on the, in the stockroom. And then we're like, what's happened here? We haven't signed it off. We had to take everything off the floor because obviously it wasn't good enough. Um, yeah. And it's so difficult because it's not always a reflection on the seamstress's work. It's just a reflection on constructing the garment. Commun- That's why I also found like I'm not trained in fashion design. Um, a lot of it was like learning on the go. And I realized how much goes into like, constructing a garment it's not just a sketch and you're like make it done there's so much to it and I think a really talented pattern cutter is also just as integral and we're really lucky that we do have a really talented pattern cutter that allows our fit to be so great like a lot of my feedback from customers is how well the garments fit and we don't get many returns um a lot of the returns are more to do like just didn't suit me the color maybe wasn't quite right um, so we don't get that many returns. We get the odd exchange asking for different sizes, but it's great that they're still saying, I love the product. I love the quality. I just need a different size. Although they're honest and they're like, it just didn't work for me, but you still make it a beautiful product. Like that's really what means a lot to me. Even when they're returning, they're like, it's such a beautiful product. It just didn't work for me. It's nothing about you or your designs. It just didn't work on me. Um, and I think it's always going to happen because everyone has different sense of style, body shape, everything like a dress will not suit everyone. Um, but we're trying to make sure that we do cater to a very, like a varied audience basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you've had a few issues recently then with big brands, mm-hmm. the sort of brands that both you and I have worked for, not the ones we, either of us have worked for, but similar. No. Um, I don't know how much of that you can say, but they've been copying your designs. Just tell me a bit more about that and how you felt when you first saw, because um, it is, I've seen the pictures on Instagram and I'll share them when when this goes out. It's pretty much identical, some of these products. It that is, like I'm... I think because I've shared it on Instagram, I think I'm quite comfortable sharing what brands they were um, because that actually happened multiple times. So I remember it's actually, I think the first copy happened back in February um, with AliExpress. So I had, again, I can't go into exact detail exactly how it happened, but I noticed I had kind of a dodgy customer, shall we say, and it led me to do some researching and I found out like a um, copy on AliExpress because on AliExpress you can do an image search and you'll find the garment straight away. And my gut instinct was correct because the one dress that I was worried about was all over AliExpress. None of the other dresses no. got copied or anything like that. And they were all over AliExpress, which was heartbreaking what, so at the time. So someone had taken a photograph from your website, which was your IP because you'd but, taken that photograph of a model in your dress and they yeah. used your exact image on AliExpress what to, to offer to make it or to sell it what to sell how? it so, I mean, um so I think again as you know in buying like a lot of it does come from sampling from other brands and I have a feeling someone was sampling from my brand because they were ordering multiple sizes in one style consistently um and obviously at the start no. I was a little bit I was a little bit naive and I was like there's nothing I can do like I had my gut feeling something wasn't right but I was like well they're bringing me money 
they could just be ordering multiple sizes, but they kept on ordering more and more. And it got to a point where... So they were. do you think they were actually buying it to take it apart, to even use not only copy your design, but your grading as well, i.e. Yeah. your exact fit that you had spent hours, as you've just said, doing all these fit sessions. They were taking yeah. your dresses apart to make patterns for That's them to copy That's my them. only kind of conclusion because it made no sense to me at the time why they were ordering so many sizes. And it kind of then threw me back to my buying days of what you would do with kind of sampling. And I know the company I didn't work for didn't work in this way because we didn't intentionally rip off other designers, but I know within the industry, that's how some companies yeah. do it. And it got to a point where I think they, it just, it got a bit too far for me and I did some digging and then yeah, found the AliExpress copy. Um, again, we're never going to be certain of what the actual situation was. But that was really heartbreaking to see because I saw they took, so obviously they stole my designs because they remade it um, and put it online. But obviously you could see there was clearly a copy because of the uh, quality and they were selling it for like $5. Um, So that was really heartbreaking seeing my designs being sold for $5, um, which is basically the complete opposite of what my brand stands for. For ethical, honest fashion. Um, sorry, on a different author. fabric base, I presume. I assume well, so. I mean, you can see from base. the picture how it was lacking in quality. And yeah. on top of that, so you can see obviously the garment, like it was like a ghost image where it's just the image of the dress. You could see that it was just a really badly made copy. And then they also stole images from my website, my Instagram. So it was pictures of me, my best friends, other <gasps> people that modeled for us, um, put all over the website. But they were like, grayed out a little bit so i assume they had to do that maybe because they think they can uh, overstep copyright issues if they recolor it or something so it was just such a shock seeing like my face and my friends faces all over aliexpress in my dress so that was really difficult to see because that was my first time dealing with something and this conversation has been ongoing this whole year i've seen so many designers report the same thing happen to them Um, And it just keeps on getting worse and worse because then fast forward to about two weeks ago, I, um, how do I even stumble across it? No. So the first one was obviously another brand that was copying and that was all happened. I happened to stumble upon it accidentally. I was, I just had my second COVID vaccine, was feeling a little bit sorry for myself in bed on a Saturday, it was Saturday, Sunday. And I was just scrolling online, online shopping. And I said, go on ASOS. I hadn't been on there in a while. Don't really shop there anymore. But I just was like looking on there. like, I'm going to have a little bit of a scroll. Um, and literally two scrolls. And I saw what looked like one of my products. It's like this pink maxi skirt in the pink and orange tiger print. And I saw it wrapped around her head. And I was like, that looks like my skirt wrapped around her head. It was basically a massive headscarf. But it was so big that it looked like because I make smaller bandana versions of it as well um, in this pink and orange tiger print. And I was like, that looks like a combination of both my skirt and my scarf. And I was like, have they used it for styling purposes, maybe? Clicked onto it and they were selling it. They were selling it as their own ASOS design headscarf. Um, and I was like, this is too close to my own print to just be a coincidence. Um, and yes, yeah, so that's how I found that one. So I started posting it online. And everyone was like, it's identical. And I think it really is a strength in sharing it on platforms such as Instagram because you raise that awareness, you raise that profile, which I think is needed because this is happening more and more as we go along. And what was really disappointing was a company like ASOS 
that I've respected throughout my career and I've tried to, I've applied for jobs there. I've had interviews there in the past in my buying career and I saw something so similar. I was like, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but what also is difficult is you start questioning yourself. You're like, maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe my design is very generic and anyone could do it. But when you actually where see you, it, you're like, where do you draw the line? So I just wanted to just ask the question. So where do you get your prints from? So I, um, they all come out my head. I hand draw them. And oh, I also gosh. have, so I have, I can't take full credit. So I hand draw them and then I have, because I'm not trained in print design or fashion design, I yeah. worked with a very talented print designer called Lizzie and she basically tied them up for me and yeah. um, made them so they could easily be repeated onto fabrics and things like that. So we kind of, the joint effort where I would sketch them and then she would tie them up for me and put them in the right format. And she also helped me like hand paint the tiger print. So she hand painted the tiger print and then we digitalized it and made it into the print that it is today. So it was a hand drawn. Totally exclusive. Totally exclusive. And like the colors and everything I picked out for like Pantones and things like that. And I kind of experimented with the colorways and stuff myself and then saw it online. I was like, that's identical. That's not a coincidence. Um, So that was really hard to see. And because I was in this kind of whirlwind of seeing a copy of my product, that day I see another brand called Maison Clio share that Shein had copied their designs. And because I was in that headspace of already seeing someone copy, I was like, you know what? I'm going to have a look on Shein. I wonder if there's any of my dresses on there. And literally I just type in green cherry dress because obviously as I mentioned, <gasps> that was the one that on AliExpress, just typed it into AliExpress yeah. and it, it came up again there. The exact dress in Shein. very similar to the AliExpress dress. Um, and that was all over Shein. And again, being sold for five pounds. Um, Shein are the absolute worst, though, because it's direct from the factory in China, isn't it? They don't yeah. even have. Yeah, it's, it's and not so even many. Sellers, it's direct yeah. from the factory. And it's so difficult yeah. because it's really growing in profile. Like I was kind of saying earlier, they've grown a massive following online, especially through Gen Z customers, because they're providing garments that maybe they can't afford or they deem too expensive and recreating it and selling it for like five, 10 pounds. It's made fashion so easily accessible, but it's done it in the entirely wrong way. Like it blows my mind. I think I read doing my research and stuff after it happened. They, I think they post like 500 to 2000 new items a day. I'm like, how does that work? And how with no design that? team, because no they're just copying team, It's just else. copies. It's endless copies because I've lost count now how many brands and designers I've seen complain about it. Um, so I'm one of very many. Like this, my story is not the only one. Um, and what I found really interesting though is the community spirit. That when you share that news, the amount of support that I received back from it was insane. The amount of shares, support, that was really useful and really heartwarming to see. So many people were just as angry as I was, and then they're, they're, they're not their designs. They're not connected to it. But the fact that so many people share this opinion that it's just not right. I think it still needs to be really pushed um, within the industry because it's just not okay. And I just don't see how no. this can continue. Um, and I think it's also a little bit laughable. I think they announced that they're doing like a design competition, wasn't it, She And I think like you win $100,000 to have a collection or something like that. I was like, you don't need to do that. They're already stealing your designs anyway. Yeah, yeah. So what else have you tried aside from from being very vocal about it on social media, which I think is brilliant. Is there anything else that you've been able to do to try and um, stop it happening or to um, to to hit back at these these companies that have done this? 
I think, yeah. So vo- vocalizing on Instagram is the first thing I did because then also I think I missed out that last weekend I then saw another copy on ASOS that was identical. I think that's the one that you saw. Um, so the fact that twice in that space of two weeks I announced it online, the amount of people that were talking about it was incredible. Um, but sadly, it's just so difficult to actually get further with it. I think with AliExpress, I ended up directly messaging the sellers to take it down. Um, and some of the conversations I had on there were quite ridiculous. I was just saying like, take them down. They're not your designs. Um, you're not monocolor label. And I'm like, yeah, we know we're not monocolor label. Um, and then I was like, these are my designs. Please take them down. It's like, Oh, you designed them. They're amazing. Congratulations. (sighs) And it was just this kind of sarcasm. I don't know what it was, sarcasm or whatnot, but it was just really difficult conversations to have. And then luckily, um, one of my best friends, his boyfriend is an IP lawyer. So he was able ah, to handy. put together a whole, yeah, handy. So he was able to put a whole case together for me. Took some time, obviously, like we literally scrolled through my design history. And I think that's also what I want to mention. It's really important when you're designing. Yeah. Keep like a time note or a date of everything that you made and when you designed them, when you did them. Luckily, obviously, most computers, they have a date, don't they, when a document was created. So that's quite useful, that's beneficial, but just make sure you kind of have a timeline of when you designed anything, drew anything, because it'll all it'll all come back to being very helpful. So luckily I had everything kind of time stamped from emails and designs and things like that that were able to then provide as proof that these designs originated from my brain, myself. Um so we create a whole case, but then trying to submit that on AliExpress, it was so they make it purposely difficult to do. Um, so I tried submitting it and they rejected it because my ID was wrong. Cause you have to upload like your identification, your ID, and they weren't being clear if they wanted my ID or my business identification or verification. And it got to a point where I just didn't have the time to look into it further. Um, it got really difficult and I'm still yet to finalize it. It's still on my to-do list to try and look back into it and do it. But it's so hard also that you just keep on seeing more copies but what I also try to remember is that the people who buy from these sites or because that was my first fear is like, oh, all these people are now going to flock to Shein or ASOS and buy the copy. And while that's really disheartening, they're obviously not your original customer anyway. Um, so I'm not. So I had like people messaging me like, don't share it because you'll lose customers. I'm like, I won't lose customers no. because they're not my customers in the first place. And I think. For any other designers out there who do worry about that, I don't think that's a thing you need to worry about. For me, it's more just that my work has been stolen. My hard work and my ideas are being ripped off. That's what's more painful and I think difficult to deal with than the fact they're doing copies and that means other pe- their customers will be stolen. They're not stealing your customers because they weren't your customers yeah. in the first place. Yeah, I love your attitude to that, Monica, but I know it must be really upsetting for you and so many other designers as well. Yeah. I mean, there's an organisation called ACID. Have you heard of anti-copying in design? Have you spoken to them? It does sound familiar, but no, I've not spoken to them yet. So I definitely will be getting that down after this. I did a podcast interview with the lady who runs it, who set it up herself because she herself was a designer um, within Homeware, actually, um, Mm. who was copied years ago. And just having the logo on your website, if you're a member of theirs, I think can help in being somewhat of a deterrent. But I don't know whether it's a deterrent for people like... um, AliExpress because they seem to be untouchable. I think so that's all they, what I mean. Yeah. They're just so untouchable. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but they're just so untouchable. And I think that's why, not that I haven't given up, but with the in, in terms of submitting the case, 
I don't have the because I run the brand almost entirely by myself. I'm fortunate that I have some support. So like my parents, my stepdad is my accountant because he's a trained accountant and my mum will help out with admin here and then. So I have the support of them. But in terms of the whole business, it is just me. So it's a lot to deal with trying to develop a brand, design collections. Um, I pack and wrap everything myself to then also trying to fight a legal battle with AliExpress yeah. and it seems like it's just going to be an endless battle. So for that, it's definitely on my to-do list, but it's just something that you can't spend all your time because then your whole business will stop running. Um, and like I said, it's not lo- in, it's not directly losing me business. In matter of fact, it actually helped me gain business. I After sharing my posts, I had about three people message me directly saying, this purchase was made because I discovered your brand through these posts because other people shared it and I wanted to buy your product. So I actually got gain sales from it. Um, Brilliant. So in ter- exactly. So there was a, a massive silver lining in terms of my um, exposure really increased. I gained a load of new followers after that and a load of amazing customers after that as well. And also I, I gained orders. So I can't really complain endlessly because a lot of positive things did come out of it. But it's just a shame that something like that had to happen. Um, do you th- do you think going forward? Because obviously you've got the sort of customers mm-hmm. who wouldn't have just said they've voiced the fact they've bought from you because your brand has a purpose, whereas yeah. you know these other companies don't. Do you think you mentioned Gen Z there? Do you think mindset is changing a little, and and we are going to see more of a shift towards the a bigger percentage of people valuing brands that have purpose rather than a five pound dress that they can buy from some cheap Chinese copying company. I've got asked this question a lot, actually, obviously, since starting the brand because of what we do. And my opinion seems to change all the time. I think I'm very torn between the fact that it will and there's also a large majority that won't. Um, I have to say, over the last year since the pandemic happened, I really do believe there was a shift um, in a perspective towards more ethical and uh, ethical fashion and a better fashion future focusing a lot more independent designers, independent boutiques, uh, broadening your kind of um, shopping range and not just sticking to the usual shops. Like I really do feel like there was like a growth in that hunger for new brands, new brands that stood for a purpose. And I remember before I started my brand, before the pandemic, I didn't really see a lot of that. And there has been a huge growth in these new brands emerging because they've identified that people are after something different. They don't just want what they see in Zara. They don't want to see, see what other people are. Like, There's always this thing, isn't it? You don't want to turn up to a wedding in the same dress as someone. I feel like there's that kind of feeling now that people want their own style. They want something a bit different. And a lot of people have come back to me saying they've not really seen this before. Or like I said earlier, we're kind of California inspired. And another reason I set up the brand was because I kind of felt I was lacking in that style here in the UK. I always end up buying internationally from like Reformation or Realization Park. I mean, some of them do now ship here and have stores here, but there was something lacking there. So I've had people say to me, like, I bought from you because I hadn't seen this kind of design before and I was really after something like that. So there's definitely that growth for some for a better fashion future and for the high street to be filled with more independent boutiques and brands. Like I'm doing a pop-up next week with a company called Lone Design Club who specialise in oh, yeah. providing a platform for independent designers. And yeah, the response that I get to that is incredible. So I think there's definitely a shift in a large, I won't say large majority, but in a large group of people and shoppers that are shifting towards wanting to be a bit more conscious of what they're buying. 
So you have the customers who are definitely a lot more um, aware that we kind of need to change in terms of our attitudes towards fashion, need something a bit more conscious. And again, I'm quite careful to throw around the word sustainable because then this will link in something that I might say later is that you have these brands who are driven by um, obviously being cost effective, but then slapping on a term called sustainable to then sell it to the customers who are conscious. So it's all interweaved into one. And funnily enough, the dress that got copied from me from ASOS, um, they threw in the word sustainable yes, they did, didn't into they? the product title. And I was like, you copied one, a yeah. sustainability focused brand, and then put it in your title. It's a sustainable recycled satin dress. And they could have not copied it anymore. And it was yeah, I think that was a real research. kick in the pants. It's a real kick, and I was greenwash as well as copying it. Yeah. Absolute greenwash, because then I look because so it's a part of their um, not sustainable edit. What's the another word for it? A conscious edit or something. So I did some research and like, so how is this sustainable? How is this edit sustainable? And all they said is because of their fabrics. Like we use recycled fabrics. I'm like that does not mean you're sustainable. Yeah. Um, and even now, like I'm very aware, like not to call everything I do sustainable because I don't think fashion can be a hundred percent sustainable in what we do like we're bringing new products out nonetheless so you won't be but you can't just slap on that term for greenwashing and to try and bring in customers who are more conscious about what they're doing because that dress ended up selling out and that was also really heartbreaking knowing that that dress sold out and knowing there's so many people walking around in a dress that was a copy of mine and I feel really bad for those people who may have been convinced that they've done something better for the environment and bought a sustainable dress from ASOS. But how can a dress from ASOS that runs on fast fashion with the amount, sheer amount of product, a company like that can never be sustainable because of the amount of product that they constantly have going. It's just not possible. Like There's yeah. so many factors towards sustainability and that goes beyond recycled fabrics. I think you've got made a really good point there about not saying, "Oh, we're a sustainable brand." There's too many, I too many people that say, "Oh, we're gonna, we want to be a sustainable brand," and I kind of say, "Well, put, what in what points do you want to be sustainable?" Because there's so many different facets to it, and exactly. as a brand, you you need to decide what you stand for. So you said for you, it's about making in London. It's about using these recycled fabrics. It's about doing slow fashion. You have to live up to what you say so we say that we're like a sustainable fashion brand because of what we do we don't just say we are i make sure that when i say we are sustainable i say how we are sustainable but i also make sure to never say i'm 100 percent sustainable and um, i think if you make that point you need to back it up with why so when asos copied my dress i then pointed out i was like well how is sustainable when monica the label does this this and this that you just listed and we're also planning to try and further that even more. We want to work towards circular fashion. We want to work towards making sure that the life cycle of a garment is never ending. So we're trying to introduce a take back scheme. There's so much more that we oh, can great. do as a brand. Um, so we're currently in talks at the moment with another company that we want to bring into this as like a collaboration. It's supposed to launch this summer, but talks have just gone on a little bit longer than we planned. But our next goal for the year, our goal for the next year is to work beyond slow and work becoming to be becoming circular. So we currently offer our products like on rental platforms and things like that. But there's definitely, I think, more that we can do in terms of our own website and our own products. So I've started talking about that as well. And there's just so many things beyond just recycled fabric that make a brand sustainable. 
And I think these companies need to realize that there's not much longer left. I think they can get away with just using these terms because yeah. people are educating themselves more and more as well nowadays in, in what sustainability is. And for brands that actually are working towards that, like Monaco Label, it becomes quite difficult when you have these other brands using it and greenwashing it to then make sure that you're not being mistaken for greenwashing either because then people become skeptical they're like are they really though and it's so difficult in the end that you have to compete now with these brands in terms of how you market yourself as well yeah okay so final um question from you and final thoughts from you what would be the one piece of advice you would Mm -hmm. give another brand um that you've learned in the in the time that you've been running your business? What's your one biggest tip for everyone? One biggest piece of advice. I think it's something I did mention earlier. I keep saying this, but I feel like I repeat myself sometimes, but it's sometimes it's needed. I think staying true to yourself and making sure that you're not led by external kind of resources. Like I said, that my design process, my brand is kind of the extension of myself and my personal style. And it really allows me to be as true to the brand as possible and I think nowadays because the industry is growing so much there are new brands popping up all over the place you really need to make yourself stand out and nowadays it's 50% product I would say and 50% about the brand that you are so I think you need to work just as much as you can on your brand on your branding what you stand for as well as your products because your products won't live you won't last you basically so with me it's really important that I stick to our ethos I stick to our values that are my own values as well and it really prevails because I'm not faking anything I'm being true to myself I'm doing what I believe in and I think that's what's really allowed the brand to become what it has become by a year and a half later it's because I've always stuck to my guns I've stuck to what I believe in I'm not led by trends I don't so I think trends are so easy they influence you to do things you might not necessarily want to do Um, and that would be my advice I think make sure you really find what your brand stands for what your values are and make sure you don't always just rely on your products you need to rely on what your brand stands for as well Ah, brilliant advice. Really brilliant (laughs) advice. Thank you, Monica. You've been an amazing guest. Tell everyone where they can find the original Monica the Label products. (laughs) So you can find the original Monica Label products at monicathelabel.com. That is M-O-N-I-K-A, thelabel.com. Sorry, no um in the middle. (laughs) And then we're also (laughs) Monica the Label on Instagram and social media platforms as well. Brilliant. Oh, Monica, thank you so much for joining me. You've been amazing. Thanks very much, Kate. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Friday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. Many of the interviews that you hear on series four of this podcast are also available to watch on our YouTube channel. You can find it by going to youtube.com forward slash make it British LTD. That's make it British with the letters LTD. Bye bye. Bye.